Good morning, everyone. Pastor Brett said he's one of the pastors here, and I'm, my name is Ben Dick. I'm not one of the pastors here, but I'm speaking today, so I'm an elder in this church, one of the newest elected elders, and, and still getting to know a lot of who this church is and, and what, um, what God is doing here, what God has done in the past, and uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here, a little nervous to, to say the least, but I believe God has a word for us today, and he will speak. Um, his word is, is powerful, it's, it's um, filled with truth and filled with life, so um, my message title today is No Time to Languish, A Call to a Renewed Walk with Jesus, and it's interesting how even in the worship service this morning, how everything kind of follows the same sort of a, of a, of a trend, um, you know, and even in Ben's prayer and in, in the worship of the music, um, how, um, yeah, God is calling us, and, and we, I've been blessed already just to, you know, um, to be here, to be a part of what God is doing. So my uh, uh, sermon text is in the book of Haggai, Haggai, so it's in the Old Testament, it'll be the third last book in the Old Testament if you... Uh, want to find it in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen as well in just a bit, but um, it's uh, the Old Testament, especially the prophets, is not uh, a section of Scripture that we spend a lot of time on. We tend to read a lot of the New Testament, or we, we do read the Psalms and stuff, but the prophets are kind of, there's a lot of stuff there. We're not sure how, uh, how that all works together, and, and a lot of it's sort of, uh, you might call it doom and gloom type preaching, you know, woe and woe with this and that, and, and it's not, not very encouraging, to, you know, to say the least. So, um, but I believe God has a word of, of admonition for us in, in the Old Testament. And um, I'm going to give you just a, a brief context to chapter 1 of Haggai. So the, Haggai was a prophet, and he spoke in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. The audience, primary audience, is Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest. These were the two people that God had placed over the people of Israel in that time as leaders, civic and uh, spiritual leaders. The date is about 520 B.C. So um, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the time before Christ went from, from higher to lower, right? So it would have gone from, from the year 600 to 500 to 400, and then finally at zero when Jesus was born, and then it counts up. So a little thing you might not have known, but it's kind of cool how that works. So the year 520 B.C., so, the context, Israel. So, for 70 years, the people of Israel have lived as exiles in the land of Babylon. Israel and Judah were cast out of their country for their willful disobedience to God. They chose to serve worthless and dead idols of pagan nations around them, rather than serve the living God who provided them all that they would ever need. So, in His mercy, the Lord sent prophet after prophet to admonish and warn Israel to repent of their evil ways and to turn to Him. But warning after warning went unheeded, and alas, what was predicted came to pass. The city of Jerusalem fell, the country was ransacked, the best of all their possessions, and the people were taken captive into a foreign land. First was Babylon who came and took Israel, and then later Babylon got taken over by, by Persia under King Cyrus. And then that was the year 538. So now, 70 years have passed. As was predicted, the way was opened for Israel to begin their journey back to their homeland. You can read about that in Second Chronicles 36, Ezra chapter 1, uh, with God's instructions for them to go back to Israel and to rebuild. Against many odds and obstacles, the people rebuilt those city walls, began construction of their homes, and work commenced on rebuilding the temple at Jerusalem. However, it seems that after a brief 
period of work, the construction of the temple was abandoned. Due to fierce opposition, they were issued a a cease work operation. In the months and years that passed by, it's been 16 years since the work on the temple had begun and got abandoned. 16 years since they moved back to Israel and started rebuilding and then dropped it. The prophet Haggai enters the scene here with a word from the Lord. So I'd like you to stand, please. We're going to uh, read the passage, see if I can work to make this clicker to work. Can you go to the next slide, Caleb? All right. We're reading Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but none of you is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies yourself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain and the wine and the oil, and upon the ground, which, and upon that which the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all, that their, and all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, obeyed the, word of the voice of the Lord, their God, and with the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, an interesting passage. I'll give you the context for it. This was Israel um, building their the temple, building, rebuilding their walls. It was a time of rebuilding. And so, I'll, I'll go into some, some commentary, some explanation on, on that. So, the first, verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the, the house of the Lord. The prophet Haggai here addresses the leaders of the people, Zerubbabel and Joshua, two leaders who were ultimately responsible for their well-being. Notice the Lord says, these people. He doesn't say, my people or my children. It's a very intentional wording there. 
It's, it's to show displeasure, to show that God wasn't pleased with their actions. These people have returned from exile and spent 16 years back in their home country. They've labored hard and reestablished their lives and their homes. Life was pretty much back to normal. Such a wonderful feeling it must have been to walk around and see the fruit of their labors and to see their houses rebuilt, the city coming back together. But wait, there is an elephant in the room, so to speak. Yeah, the, the temple. What about the temple? Yeah, we, we don't know what to do with that. I mean, it's over there kind of in ruins and it's a lot of work. We don't really have time for that. We just, we just don't have time to tackle that right now. Imagine this was maybe a conversation they would have had uh, in their, along their meals or as they walked about the city. The commentator Henry Matthew states that the project started off well. Initial progress was made, but a sudden stop work order was made by officials higher up. I quote, being served with a prohibition sometime after the per- by the Kers- Persian court and charged not to go on with it, they not only yielded to its force when they were actually under it, that might have been excused, but afterwards when the violence and the opposition ceased, they continued to be very indifferent. They had no spirit or courage to set about again, but seemed glad that they had a pretense to let it stand still. It was a valid excuse, they thought. The time has not yet come. We just don't have the energy. We're not ready to face that project. Matthew, the commentator, states, well, our time has not come for the doing of it because we have not yet recovered. After our captivity, our our, our losses are not repaired nor have we gotten ahead in this world. It's too great of an undertaking for new beginners in the world, as we are. Let's first get our, house, our own houses up before we talk of building churches. And in the meantime, let's build a bare altar to serve us as, did, as it served Father Abraham. So they didn't do nothing in the temple. They, they did erect an altar, um, you know, so they had a place to worship. So it was kind of the bare minimum requirement to, to fulfill the, the command of God. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. That's um, the second time that God speaks again. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? In direct response to the people's excuse, the time has not yet come. God here asks a very pointed question. So you've got all kinds of time to work in your house, but my house lies in ruins. You're okay with that? You've spent a lot of time and resources to build your houses. In fact, you've gone to extreme home makeover 2.0. Your houses are like a fine show of comfort and status for all your neighbors to see. But my house lies in ruins. Here's an appeal to conscience. Look at yourselves. Look at your houses. Now behold the ruins of the temple. That should be standing here majestic, inviting people to come and worship and to sacrifice, to fellowship together. What are your priorities? Is my house of such low value in your eyes? You've done the minimum requirement, just the altar. Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. The Lord invites his people here to take a pause, just stop. Take a look around. Remove those rose-colored glasses and see that things are not what they should be. Take inventory of your current situation. Where you are now, what you have now, is not what I have in mind for you. Don't settle for meager portions when I have a feast prepared for you. Think about it. He was on to verse 6. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. 
And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. That seems very pointless, isn't it? Futile efforts for no, for no reward. All your labor is in vain. There's no satisfaction. And any pleasure you attain is momentary and fleeting. Why? Because God has been trying to get your attention. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 7, consider your ways. He's not going to bless you in your disobedience, he's telling them. Verse 8, go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. All the supplies for the temple had been provided by King Cyrus. He was a heathen king. God commanded him and he went. He obeyed. He proceeded to pay for all the supplies. He's like, whatever you guys need to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple, I'll, I'll pay it for you. I'll pave your way. And he sent them out. You can read about that in Ezra 1 as well. They only needed to get to go and get to work. The supplies were there. Enough of this languishing in self-absorbed pity, waiting for an appropriate time to do what they already knew they were supposed to do. The time is now. Go and do as you are instructed. Rebuild my house. This emptiness and lack of purpose you've languished in these past 16 years, there is something you can do about it. The ball is in your court. In your act of obedience, I will be glorified in my house. God, and I quote here, will receive the honor which was due him, which has been withheld on account of their indifference to the state of the house by commentator uh, Paul Kritzman. I'll repeat that again. God will receive the honor which was due him, which had been withheld on account of their indifference to the state of this house. You looked for much in verse 9, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, on the hills, and on the grain, on the new wine, and the oil, and the things which the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all their labors. In the Old Testament covenant system God had established for Israel, there was a direct correlation between a promise and obedience. People would walk in obedience, and God would bless them, and he would, he would fulfill his promise. When they lived in disobedience, God's blessing would be removed from them, even to the point of of having the land of Canaan was, was given to them as a promise. And God said, when you walk in obedience with me, you'll have this land. If you disobey, you'll be kicked out. And that was a very, very real thing that happened to Israel. Nothing they did would prosper when the hand of God was against them. The Lord here is calling his people back into obedience to his will, which in turn would release the flow of blessings that had been held back all these years. Well, but look at the response of these people. Isn't it great? It must have been a, a prophet's dream to go and speak to these people, and they amended their ways and followed him. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. We don't see the word repentance in these words, but I tell you, repentance happened. These leaders and people alike consider their ways. They saw the truth of what God spoke through Haggai and made changes. These people came to see the error of their ways. Repentance means to do an about face. You're going one direction, 
you realize you're on the wrong road or going the wrong direction, you stop and you change your ways and you go that way. That's called repentance. The remnant of Israel were brought under the conviction by the word of the Lord. And because they feared the Lord, they adjusted their course and proceeded to obey him. I love how the leaders of these people, Zerubbabel and Joshua, initiated the change. That's true and responsible, humble leadership. They led by humble example, and the people followed. Now verse 13, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. The words, I am with you, are found 17 times in the Bible. 16 of these are from the mouth of the Lord. What wonderful words, not just consolation of his presence, but his strength to do the task. I'm reminded of a passage in Isaiah uh, chapter 41, verses 8 to 10. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I, look, whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. And I love this part. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. Isn't that powerful? Amazing verse. I've loved this verse for a while and, and uh, such a blessing. The people humbled themselves in obedience to God and he was merciful. Their reverence for him demonstrated by obedience was pleasing to him and he will once again bless them. Verse 14, then the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the gov- and, um, sorry, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the same month, in the second year of Darius the king. One commentator states, To awaken the spirit of a man is to make him willing and glad to carry out his resolutions. God gave them such energy and perseverance in this work. Thus, filled with joyfulness and courage and strength, they began the work on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year. There's a kind of duty that we can do out of obligation, a slow, begrudging kind of work, getting it done because that's what we're supposed to do, right? We all know that kind of work. Then there's a service done in pleasure, work that's done with joy and in good spirit. When a team of people is at work in joyful service, what strength is theirs to accomplish great things for God? Their backs are stronger and their days are not tedious. God stirred up the spirit of these people, leaders and people alike, to encourage and motivate them to such joyful service. What a difference in these people from the first words spoken in verse 1. In the first day of the month to the 24th day of the same month. 23 days later. Change didn't happen overnight. But change happened. The work on the temple resumed after 16 years of lying in waste. Now what can you and I learn from this passage? How does what happened way back 500, 600 years before Christ. How does that affect us here today? In the year 2023. In the second month. and the 26th day. In Tabor, Alberta. How does that affect us. Are we in a time of rebuilding? I think we are. Some of us personally, some of us have, have had devastating losses in our life. We are, we are scraping up the pieces we're rebuilding. We've suffered loss. We've suffered hardship. We as a church, 
Shirley and I are fairly new here. We haven't, haven't seen a lot of what, what's gone on. There's been struggles. There's people who have left, people who have come. But God is doing something here. God is rebuilding. God is rebuilding his church. Do you want to be a part of it? God is building a spiritual temple, a house for him to dwell and work through to bring the gospel light into a dark world. God is building his kingdom in our hearts and our, in our community. He invites you and I to partake in this important task. You see on the sides these white billboards here and there. There's one in the front as well. The motto of Tabor E. Free Church is to help people to know God, to grow to be like Jesus, and to go make disciples. I believe last Sunday, Pastor Brett spoke about going to make disciples. So how can you be a part of this mission? I believe this passage will encourage us to grow to be like Jesus, and that means we become his disciples. What does that mean? What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, one who walks alongside another and learns from him. Discipleship is focused. It is an unfollowing of everything else and choosing to follow one focus, Jesus Christ, our master and teacher. I'd like us to consider the following three points of engagement from our text. Uh, point one, if you want to go to the next slide there, Josh. I don't know how this thing works. It doesn't really go. Consider your ways. That was mentioned multiple times in, in the, the uh, prophecy through Haggai. Church, beloved children of God, where are we at this morning? Where are you as an individual? What is God speaking to you in your heart? Is he asking you? Is he asking me to stop for a minute and reflect, examine my ways? Am I following Christ with a singular focus? Or do I have a lot of side gigs and things that steal my time and energy and focus in following him? Has God been trying to get your attention to draw you back into his presence? Consider your ways. Stop. Pause for a moment. Ask God, what are, you t- what are you speaking to me today? What is God telling you? Or perhaps there are some here who have not made that decision. They're not following Jesus. The time hasn't been right. It is not time, you say. One day. One day. You've got a lot of things going on. There's personal things. There's work. There's... Got to get life figured out. And I'm not sure about church and Jesus and religion stuff. I just don't know where that fits in my life. But you're here this morning and you're searching. And the beautiful thing is God has answers. He is real and would love for you to walk with him, to begin a journey of faith with you. So how about today? Today's a good day. Surrender your life to Christ. If God is calling you, turn to him and repent of your sins today. Please don't delay one more day. He is ready. Jesus is ready to accept you with open arms and to forgive you of all your past sins. The joy and hope that Jesus offers in following him is a million times better than one more day without. Next passage, Acts uh, 3, 19-20. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I love that verse, times of refreshing. If you feel like you've been in this sort of time where you're going through the motions and things are just not working out, you don't have satisfaction in your life, you don't have purpose and meaning, and stop and pause. If you're not a believer, seek God, pray. I'd like to invite you to come up to the front after the service, talk to a pastor or an elder. If you want to give your heart to God, if God is speaking to you, don't ignore that. 
If you have to pray in your own room, that's good too. God will hear you there. But don't walk away ignoring a message like the Israelites did. God longs to have you walk with, with him and into this journey of discipleship and to follow him. It, it's, there, it's refreshing. Walking with God is, is, is a joy. It's a, uh, the peace and, and the love that we experience walking with him is, is amazing. If you are a child of God, what is God saying to you? Is your heart right with God? Have the things of this world taken priority over the things of God in your life? Am I preoccupied in my self-serving pursuits to the point I have little time to spend in the presence of God or prayer or Christian service? Am I so busy with my work and my life that I can't see the hurts and needs of those around me? Yeah, there's times where life gets busy, we get bogged down, and we lose focus. There's times when the journey is tough. There's times where we hurt, we suffer loss, we suffer injustice. But how long need I languish there? Is it time to move on? Let us not languish in the shadow lands. God has a journey for you to walk in his light. He desires to bless you abundantly as you serve him. Consider your ways. Consider the the state of your heart. Am I harboring unforgiveness or bitterness, anger in my heart? I am the only prisoner in that room. We have, in recent sermons, been encouraged to grow in this area of forgiveness and letting go. Oh, how the Lord would be your helper. Come to him with your burdens and your struggles. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. next slide there, Caleb. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I'll, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's there. Jesus offers it. Come to him. Bring your burdens to him. Don't bear them on your own. And so many of you would have testimonies of, of how God has been your constant help in times of trouble. And, and you know, share your testimony as, as was, was uh, talked about today and, and you know, even with what Shirley shared. Have a testimony. Share what God is doing. Uh, there's, there's a lot. A lot of encouragement we can do for, to each other to, to share our story of what God has done and is doing. You may be a child of God, but you've settled for meager portions a status quo Christianity. You've been taught the word of God. You believe God. Salvation is through grace, through by faith alone. Jesus has done it all for you. So there's nothing for me to do now, right? I'm saved. <sighs> Life carries on. But I'm not a lot different than I was before. In fact, I'm not a lot different than most people around me. But I'm a Christian and I know that, so that's all that matters, right? No, there is more. There's a journey that God wants to invite you on, a journey of discipleship, to walk with him. I feel like I want to shout this from the rooftops for all believers to hear. Pursue God. There's more. The journey of discipleship is a journey of growth, one of earnestly seeking him and being led by the Spirit to fulfill his work. It's a journey of constant change to become more like Jesus. So let's not languish in mediocrity when there's so much opportunity to grow. In Christ. That brings me to the next point. Read that again. The journey of discipleship is a journey of growth, one of earnestly seeking Him and being led by the Spirit to fulfill His work. It's a journey of constant change to become more like Jesus. Let us not languish in mediocrity when there is such opportunity to grow in Christ. Okay, consider change, take action. There's a quote attributed to the industrial Henry Ford that says, 
If you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. Some of you know that quote. Basically says if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, you won't, you won't see any different results. So if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. The people of Israel who heard Haggai prophesy the word of God could have chosen to ignore the message entirely. But under the conviction of God and the Holy Spirit, they made a move and acted in obedience. If you and I desire to grow in Christ, to become more like Christ, there is a part that we have to play. God indeed saved us by faith, by grace. The faith that he first had to give us in our lost state. But the journey that follows is a partnership deal. So get this straight. Salvation is by faith through grace alone. God did that. We had no part in that. But the journey that comes after, the journey of discipleship and walking with him, of sanctification, I call that, that's a partnership deal. There's God's part in that, and there's our part. God will give us the enabling grace and power, but we must act. A close walk with God is sought and worked for. It is the mining for the greatest treasure ever sought. It will not just land in your lap with no effort. Oh, but how the Lord rewards those who seek him. Will you consider making a change? Will you take action in your pursuit of God? Is your desire to grow to be more like Jesus? I'd initially planned to preach a message on sanctification, but I realized a short way in that it would be an injustice to pack that topic into a 30-minute sermon. So the word sanctification, we all have different ideas of what that means. Um, I don't mean a sort of you know, halo on your head walking around and we're wearing robes and we're holier than everybody else. That's not the holiness or sanctification that we talk about. My definition of sanctification is a life set apart in the service of God. A dedicated discipleship where we lay aside things that hinder us in our walk and pursue things and qualities that enhance our walk. That's, the, that's what I mean by a partnership with God. It, it, the whole topic of sanctification might be another topic for another person or another, another time. But I'll leave you with a quote from the book by Jerry Bridges called The Pursuing Holiness. Uh, it spoke to me because I, I farm. That's what I do. That's what I, a lot of the stories, you know, they, they relate to me. So a farmer plows his field. He sows his seed. He fertilizes and cultivates, all the while knowing that in the final analysis, he's utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce rain or sunshine for growing and harvesting a crop. For the successful harvest, he is dependent on these things from God. But the farmer also knows, unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a sense, he is in a partnership with God, and he will reap the benefits only when he's filled his responsibilities. Farming is a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should do. We can just as accurately say that the pursuit of holiness or sanctification is a joint venture between God and the believer. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely as no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness. He has given us the responsibility of doing, it, of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. So, know this. Next slide there. 
in your walk with Christ, in your journey of discipleship and growing to be like Jesus, there's an active participation requirement. It involves discipline. It involves change. It involves repentance of sin. It involves being in the word of God to know his ways. It involves being under godly and biblical teaching and exhortation. But be encouraged. Remember the word of God through the prophet Haggai before the people took action? Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke these words to the, pe- to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord God. In the action and changes to be made in our walk with, with Christ, God is with us. In our making disciples and in obedience to him, the same promise is made in Matthew 28. I will be with you to the end of the age. God, by his grace, is our strength for the journey. Let us not be content in a stagnant place because we expect God to do everything for us. There's a part we play. So let's consider how we might encourage each other to consider the changes necessary for us to grow in our pursuit of growing to be more like Jesus. And that brings me to point three, consider Jesus. So consider your ways, consider change, consider Jesus. Remember in the story of Haggai, the Lord, and I quote, he stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, uh, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord. Has the Lord stirred something in your spirit? Are you seeking God in prayer to give you a passion and a desire to grow in Christ? If you pray for this, he will stir your spirit. There's a verse in 1 Peter 2 says, Our desire to grow in Christ should be like that of a newborn infant, eagerly longing for the milk of the word. So may the Lord stir up my spirit to motivate me to give my back, my time, my everything to follow Christ. There's a work that must be done in ourselves and through us by Jesus Christ to the community around us. I love the verse in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. The inspiration we have through, from Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we, have such, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. Let's run with perseverance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's consider Jesus. Him who, first, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What are you willing to give to know God? To grow, to be more like Jesus. What am I willing to give to share the gospel with my family, co-workers, and community? What joy is set before us? We do have a joy set before us. The joy of heaven, the joy of fellowship with God now, in eternity with God. There's joy, much joy ahead, ahead for us. This life is not all we know. There's a future, an eternity with God in heaven. Let that be our joy ahead of us as we pursue our walk with Christ. There's a, journey, there's a saying that rings true here. A fool chooses a journey and accepts the destination, but a wise man chooses a destination and accepts the journey. I'll read it again. A fool chooses a journey and accepts the destination, but a wise man chooses a destination and accepts the journey. May we be those who choose Jesus and grow closer to him as our destination rather than pursue an earthly and selfish, frivolous life for a mediocre walk that includes no hard work and gets no reward. Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways and his judgment are inscrutable. 
May the Lord stir up our hearts to pursue him in all our ways as we grow in grace and become more like him. May we be those who choose Jesus and desire to grow closer to him. It's a journey. It's a walk. Where are you at? Where am I at? Are we in a place where we desire to grow as we reconstruct, as we rebuild? Is my heart right with God? Am I pursuing God? It's a joy to see so many of you in, in service and serving God in your, in your uh, ways in the church here. Everything from making coffee to ushering to serving. There, there's a lot of need for people uh, to give our time and our backs. There's also a need to, to mentor, a need to be mentored and, and to, to be discipled. If you are doing well and you walk with Christ and you have something to give, you know, go to, the, to Pastor Brett, to the elders and say, I'd like to mentor someone. Are there some young people who would like to do a mentorship thing? We, we have you know, life to give. If you are in need of mentorship, don't stay there. If you want to you know, grow in discipleship, join a Bible study, join a life group. Um, and, and maybe there's an older man or older woman in the church you can walk with in discipleship and, and grow in Christ together. Let them be your inspiration. So I hope this has been an encouragement for you. Um, it's been a bit, a bit long, I guess, but uh, hopefully not too bad. And, uh, but there's just the, the richness and the depth of God's word and the encouragement that we have to, to grow my encouragement is to, um, as Shirley said too, to be um, intense, um, in, you know, not intensive, intenseful, that we uh, walk an intentional walk with Christ. We choose to, to walk with him and we grow and not to be lackadaisical and, and just, you know, float along. But let's grow in Christ. Let's, let's seek him. He's got so much to offer. Um, let, let's sacrifice of our things. Let's, let's give up our things for the sake of God. And God will bless. Uh, he will reward us for, for the things that we, we serve him with. So uh, may you be blessed and encouraged by this. So let's uh, bow our heads to pray. God, we thank you for your word. I just pray that the, the meditation and the thoughts of, of these words of my heart would be pleasing to you. And Lord, that everyone in this congregation that heard it, Lord, would be uh, stirred up, would be encouraged that there would be none who would feel condemned and, and not know where to go, but, Lord, that they would cast their uh, burdens on you. And, Lord, you are so loving and wonderful to receive us and to uh, love us and walk with us, Lord. So we just, we just pray for each in this congregation, Lord, who uh, is here, uh, who desires to walk with you, and if there's those who are not sure where to go, that you would just draw them. Father, may your word go forth and bring fruit in our midst, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us for a